Hey, hey, welcome to the Athlete Emerging Podcast. This is episode number two, and its topic is a juicy one. Today, I want to talk about hunger. It's been a big, jam-packed week full of insight and experience and new steps of growth, and hunger has been a central theme. As I'm sure it has been for many of us in many of our previous weight loss efforts, hunger may have been the central theme. Um, But I got some new ahas around it this week. So I want to share with you my journey and a couple questions that I found useful that may be useful for other people out there in internet land. By way of context, I'll let you know where I'm coming from. When I hired my new health coach about a week ago, I shared with him, his name's Brian, by the way, I shared with Brian a vision board that I had made at the beginning of the year. It's currently the end of April, so this was about a quarter ago, and it is a collection of images of women that have the strong, lean, athletic body that I would like mine to be more like, the the reason why I'm undertaking this transformation. To give you some examples of what I have in mind, uh, one is Marlo Fiskin. She's probably my primary inspiration. She is a celebrity in the pole fitness world and a fitness model. Highly recommend looking her up if you haven't heard that name yet. A couple other people that are on there are... I think I have Amanda Latona on there. She is a bikini pro, as is, I believe, Paige Hathaway is a competitor. She's definitely on my vision board. Michelle Lewin might be on there. A lot of these are in the professional uh, bodybuilding competition scene. Uh, They're great places to look for inspiration for if you're looking to build a strong and lean athletic body, as I am. So this is the vision that I laid out ahead. And I shared this with Brian last week. And we talked about my goals and dreams. And I'll share in more detail with you guys about those in future episodes, I'm sure. But just having that vision board in mind, one thing that I really took out of my first session with Brian was he said to me, he said, I just keep having this word coming up in my head. And I just, I have to get it out there because it's just in my head and I think you need to hear it for some reason. I like Brian because he functions a little bit on that esoteric woo-woo level like I do. So it's a great fit for me. And he said, what I keep hearing is inside, you know, he said, for that vision that you're holding, you just have to train like a mamma jamma. And he said, when you're in the gym, you should be one of the top three hardest working people at any moment when you're in the gym. And he said, I want you to be doing crazy stuff where the big burly guys in the gym are like, whoa, crap, I don't even do that. And he gave the example, we had actually been at the gym at the same time by accident earlier that day. And I had been working on triceps and I was doing a little, what we call a skull crusher or just bending and straightening the arms overhead on an incline bench. Fairly straightforward exercise. I was using a good solid heavy weight for me, but he said, 
He said, if you're going to be doing something like that, you know, you should be having one leg out on a BOSU, you know, balanced on this, that. So <laughs> you know, he was kind of kidding about that particular exercise and the ways to make it crazy. But essentially issuing me the challenge of how can I make each piece of my workout super athletic. There's really this theme of athleticism running through all of our training. He also shared with me about some of his other clients that he said had complained about a, a little tummy pooch following them around, even after they'd been working out for some time. And he said, uh, you know, these, these clients had asked, I, I think it's okay me sharing this. I don't even know their names. I don't know who they are. So I don't think there's any confidentiality issue. But these anonymous folks had said, hey, why why do I have this stomach pooch still following me around? And he'd said that he, he sets his clients up with supersets all the time. So he'll go for, if you don't know what a superset is, here's an example. Maybe he'd set people up to do deadlifts um, where you're bending over and picking up weight a little hard to explain what a deadlift is if you've never seen it before but maybe they go straight from deadlifts into bench presses straight from bench presses into crunches straight from crunches into push-ups for example a superset is just where you're moving from one exercise to another in sequence and your set becomes the whole combination of exercises as opposed to a set being just one exercise. So you're going nonstop for longer periods of time, often hitting different muscle groups, um, getting a lot more calorie burn, a lot more increased metabolic effects after your workout, from what I understand. Uh, there's a lot of benefits to doing supersets. I haven't incorporated them into my training with my clients because I'm working uh, with an older demographic that really benefits from rest time between sets and I noticed that because I work as a trainer what I'm doing with my clients often tends to influence what I'm doing in my own workouts so this is part of the reason I haven't had the athletic results that I've been looking for is whether consciously or unconsciously I've kind of been training myself uh, the way that I train my geriatric population in some ways. It would be a little bit of an extreme to say that, but I do think that my workouts have been influenced by that. So when Brian was talking about setting these folks up with supersets, and I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is a whole different world of working out that he's asking me for here. And it's awesome. Because I get the opportunity to be more acrobatic. I get the opportunity to really play with some fun balance challenges that I get into. I'm super excited about this. And I mentioned these other clients that Brian had that said, okay, why, why is this little tummy pooch still following me around? And what he said to them is because you're taking all these breaks in between the different exercises in your supersets. He said, that's fine if you want to take the break. I have no judgment around it, but that's why the pooch is following you around. So I really got, okay, when we're doing supersets, we are working with extended intensity. Yes, we may be moving between different muscle groups, but we want to keep that intensity level high. He asked me, 
on the same line of thought how long my workouts were at the gym, how long I was doing each strength training session. And I said, oh, they, they might vary from 20 minutes where I'm rushed and I'm really packing it in to, oh, maybe I might spend an hour and a half at the gym if I'm, you know, taking it a little bit more leisurely and getting in good sets, but taking breaks in between and have a little bit more time. And the challenge that he also issued me is he said, what would happen if we took that 20 minute intensity and sustained it for an hour? So mm, my gears get turning. I'm really excited about this concept. This probably wouldn't be advice to give everybody, but for me, I'm somebody that's really enjoys that kind of athletic challenge. And I notice because I've carried this overweight identity, I often haven't given myself permission to take on as many athletic challenges actually as I would like to. That may sound really crazy. And you may be wondering what the heck it has to do with the topic of hunger, but it's all leading up to it. Bear with me. We're setting the context here for what this current training, what this current lifestyle is. And I think that this is an important point. I hadn't intended to talk about it today, but it's coming up now. So I think it needs to be shared. And that was the idea of deservingness. I posted a little message on Brian's Facebook wall after that first session. And I said, thanks so much, Brian Belowski, tagging him like you can do on Facebook, for the permission to be as badass as I want to be. I felt like that's what I got with this challenge. I've always wanted to be that kind of badass. And at different times in my life, when I had the opportunity to train Kung Fu in China, for example, I was that badass then. And when I was in college studying abroad and I got to do classical Indian dance training in India, I was that badass, you know, but it's kind of taken oftentimes these international or otherwise outside of the norm experiences for me to let myself even try on that athletic identity. In normal life, I kind of had this perception of myself as the little fat girl, as terrible as that sounds, I have to apologize to myself as I say it. It feels gross just to say it. But I had this weird twisted notion that Other people would see me, this person who I thought was overweight and soft and squishy, and if I was doing all this super athletic stuff, maybe I would make those exercises look bad. Like the sense of undeservingness went that deep. Like I don't deserve to do these exercises because people will think that they don't work if they see me doing them. Ah, I've never said that out loud before. That's kind of crazy, right? I just, it was like, I, I don't get to play that way because I don't have that body that people who play that way have. Which of course is twisted because you have to play that way in order to earn that body. But I kind of had it backwards in my head. Like, oh, I don't, I don't get to do that until I look that way. And it was just another 
form of subtle resistance where I was using my current body against myself and to block myself from the big, strong, super active life that I really wanted to have. So that permission in first session was huge. And it went hand in hand with the opportunity for identity shift. So why this podcast is called Athlete Emerging. This whole journey for me is about stepping into that identity of being an athlete. And that's a really helpful distinction for me. Because in the past, my workouts have been really solid for a normal person. I mean, I'm a fitness professional. I know how to create workouts. I love moving my body. They've been fine. And my eating has been, for the most part, balanced. Yeah, I've definitely seen myself as having sugar addiction. And there have certainly been times when I've overeaten out of stress. But I've also learned a lot about nutrition in the past 10 years or so and gotten some really good help. And there's been times where my diet has been based around vegetables and lean proteins. Uh, There's been times where I've been living on a healthy vegan diet. And those of these things have shifted over time. There's been an overall balance to pretty, pretty good. But just pretty good. Kind of normal. And I would say from a more fair, objective viewpoint that the body that I've had, at least in recent years, has been a reflection of those habits. It's been normal. It's been a strong, healthy version of normal. But it's been normal. And from where I sit right now, I can see that that's okay. But a week ago... When I first started this journey before I had anybody to sit and talk through this psychological craziness with, I would be upset with my body for being a normal body because I thought I was supposed to have either this athletic athletic body that I would love now or when I was a little girl, for example, I was doing ballet. I was pretty serious about ballet. And I thought that I was supposed to have a ballet dancer's body. It would be a natural assumption for somebody who's working very hard at ballet. But if you know much about the ballet world, you know that there are very few people that naturally have the sort of extreme ballet dancer's body that professions in that career often demand. It's not something that comes naturally to very many people. And very many people struggle with a lot of unhealthy eating habits and eating disorders and real problems around trying to fit into that mold. So this was the perception that I was already coming from. From the time I was, I don't know, probably seven or eight years old, those images started getting set. Those images of my body is heavier than it's supposed to be. I have more fat than I'm supposed to have. And I would get mad at my body. And my body was just being normal. Because ultimately, especially as I got older, my training and my eating and my lifestyle habits were pretty normal. 
And that's actually great. I really have to stop and acknowledge myself for that. Because quote unquote normal, whatever that is, I'm realizing that I'm setting this arbitrary midpoint that doesn't actually exist. But that in itself is a lot of progress for me. I am reminded of my diet in high school. And I was on the school lunch program. I got reduced price lunches because we didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up. And a school breakfast as well. And every day, breakfast was a cinnamon roll, good-sized cinnamon roll with frosting and chocolate milk on the side. Every single day, just processed, empty flours and sugars. And then lunch, I was a vegetarian when I was growing up. So lunch was usually a veggie burger on a big fluffy white bun or that really greasy, oil-sopping, yummy pizza, always with a side of tater tots, with Thousand Island dressing and ketchup, maybe a little salad or something on the side, but still so heavy in the process, still so heavy in the carbs. Naturally eating like that, we would all be really hungry in the mid-afternoon after that carb high comes and the crash comes. And we'd get a snack break mid-afternoon and we'd go out to the snack cart and we'd all buy these, I think they were called honey buns. It was another kind of plastic wrapped sweet pastry. And this was every day for at least those four years when I was in high school and then whatever crazy eating habits came afterwards in college. But I look back at that and a few months ago I realized, wow, I never stood a chance at being really slender and lean and athletic and svelte and all of these things that I wanted to be. Not with food like that. And I had no way of knowing better at 14, 15 years old. And when I realized that, I took a look back at that food. I was able to finally give myself some forgiveness for all of this punishment that I've been putting my body through in terms of being mad at it and expecting it to be skinny, expecting it to be slim, expecting it to be visibly muscular without curves and more fat than it needs to have. And I, there was no way for my body to be that way because of what was available to me at the time, both in terms of food and knowledge. And as I learned more, my habits shifted and my body changed and I dropped some weight. But I never really looked back until, that was probably about two months ago, where I really stopped and I looked at that diet and went, oh my gosh, okay, given what I'm coming from, I'm doing pretty well. I, I can still move around really comfortably and I haven't developed diabetes despite the fact that I was eating all of that sugar as my norm every day. 
And there may be people listening out there that have developed diabetes, but maybe you're not into any of the complications that can come later down the road. Maybe you've taken whatever steps that you've taken to manage it. I think there's real value in acknowledging ourselves for what we have done right and forgiving ourselves around times where we were doing our best but we beat ourselves up for what wasn't working. I think that's an important thing to do, especially as I'm talking about hunger today, because we don't want feeding ourselves to be coming from that place of punishment. Feeding ourselves is by nature and by definition, the most self-nourishing thing that we can do. And I'm finding that I think it's really important for that to be an emotionally and psychologically and spiritually nourishing act as opposed to an act riddled with all of this conflict that has come into the eating process, probably for so many of us so much of the time. So hopefully you've taken a moment to acknowledge yourself a bit. I'm ready to jump into this hunger piece. Going back to these super crazy workouts that I was issued the challenge of, I was so inspired after my first session with Brian that I went home that evening and I had already done that triceps and chest workout that I mentioned earlier. And I realized, okay, that was not the level of intensity that he's asking for. So I went out, there's a bike trail nearby, and I went out and I ran sprints supersetted with a few different varieties of push-ups, including tricep dips. I did those on the ground, so let's count them as a variety of push-up. They're like a reverse push-up or backwards push-up, you might say. That's a bit of a word for it. So I did this, this big set of eight rounds of this sprint for two light posts. I don't even know how long that is in feet or meters. Those kinds of details don't really matter. What mattered was that I was pushing myself. I went two light posts along this bike track, bike path, and then I would stop and do 10 push-ups in whatever variety of push-up I was on in the cycle at that time. It was a great workout. 20 minutes, boom, boom, boom. It was tough. I came back. I was beat. It was awesome. Had a great night. Felt like I'd done wonderfully. The next day, I had a light unusually light first breakfast. I kind of do breakfast in two parts. And I had just a half of a little protein smoothie, ran a session with a client, which included hiking all over the place. So I was pretty hungry by the time I got to proper breakfast, second breakfast, which was, in this case, oatmeal with blueberries and banana and almond butter. Great little breakfast. I was fine with being hungry for that. It had been a while. It was my first really big meal of the day. That was great. Ate it, enjoyed it. An hour and a half later, I was hungry again. And this was when the rich psychological material started to surface. Now, I had learned from past nutrition information that, uh, you know, one way to approach eating is to make sure that you're eating every two and a half, three hours. So I've been pretty consistent on that for a few years now. So if I'm fine, if I'm hungry again after two and a half, three hours, I'm cool with that. But this was only an hour and a half. And the first thing that came up for me 
was a boatload of judgment. Right away, it was the, oh, this is why you've never been able to lose weight and keep it off. There's something wrong with me. I'm not supposed to be hungry. What is wrong with me? Why am I hungry? And all of this was coming up in really rapid succession. Whoa. Okay. And I remembered this challenge that had been issued with more intense workouts, the fact that I'd done a more intense workout last night, the fact that I'd had a really light first part of breakfast. Fortunately, there was enough sanity in my brain to come right behind all of this judgment and all of this what's wrong with me and all of this, oh, this will never work, all of this, I'm broken. And right behind that, I realized, okay, maybe I just got a really good workout last night And my body is asking for more fuel to feed these new muscles that are growing. Okay. Let me try that idea on for size. And it felt a lot more gentle. I could release some of the judgment around the hunger. Okay. Still didn't feel like I should be eating yet because it hadn't been those two and a half or three hours. But I drank some water to see if the hunger passed. I checked inside to see if I was stressed or emotional. It didn't feel like that. It just felt like the body was legitimately hungry. So I ate the next healthy meal I had lined up for the day. I had stir fried up some veggies and lentils and put together a little Tupperware pack for myself. So I ate that and it was supposed to be lunch and it was still breakfast time in my schedule, but it was okay. I had found the new perspective that I needed to make actually feeding myself okay. It may sound silly if you've never struggled with judgments around your hunger before, but it was kind of a breakthrough for me for it to really be okay to feed my body because it was hungry. There was a strong urge for me to see that as weakness as a lack of willpower or as a sign that I'd done something wrong, that I was hungry again after what I thought was a good meal, you know, only an hour and a half later. And when I realized that, it was like the uh, big timeline of past experience opened up. There was the, the movie montage of flashing back through my past And suddenly I came to see and came to realize that every attempt I had made to lose weight in the past, consciously or unconsciously, had a component of calorie restriction. Naturally, right? I mean, we have this paradigm that weight loss comes from having more calories go out, more calories expended, than calories consumed. Okay, Great, so we want to lose weight, we consume less calories, right? Sure, that that seems like a straightforward functional paradigm. And though I didn't always think in those terms, I realized that my eating habits, every time I had embarked on transformation in the past, always had a sense of victory around eating less and shame around eating more even though that wasn't always my goal. It was like buried in there. 
And it was just this emotional sense of like, oh yeah, I didn't eat that last bite. Or, oh, oh, oh I, I feel like I need food. That's bad. It's a really strange, judgmental relationship of hunger that came from, like I say, even on an unconscious level, thinking I was supposed to be restricting calories. So I was telling Brian about all of this, this big aha that I'd had when I saw him again last week. I'm seeing him twice a week, which is just such a delicious luxury for me. And in this last session where I saw him, he said, okay, all right, I, I understand the paradigm that you're coming from of more calories going out than calories coming in. Okay. He said, the problem with this equation is that it completely ignores metabolism. It acts like our body is just a constant, regardless of what we're you know, putting into it. And the problem is, if we're restricting calories, our body responds by slowing down our metabolism. And then when we do reach that point where we binge, or we do get that big, good, solid meal, the body goes, oh, great, here's calories. I've been feeling a little hungry lately. I don't know when more calories are coming again. So I'm going to store these. Our metabolism has slowed down and gone into storage mode. So if we are working out and being active and our body needs more calories than we're feeding it, we're actually doing more harm than good by trying to restrict and reduce calories. And this played into that concept of, of identity and what am I working for? It kind of helped me put it in those, in that frame, helped me see it more clearly. Because Brian said, he said, okay, if you were just sitting around on the couch all day, all right, I'd be fine with you restricting calories because your body doesn't really need that many of them to stay alive and do its functions and have you fine sitting on the couch. So you would be fine. You wouldn't be screwing up your metabolism that way. And he says, but for this athletic body that you want to build, he said, what we want to do is we want to have this furnace running hot. You want to be constantly fueling this furnace. You want that body to get so used to having calories coming in that it can just process them through like, yeah, that's just what I do. You know, the fire is just burning, constantly fueled, running hot. And he gave me this little, this little phrase to hold on to that I'm looking forward to using if I get this judgment around hunger coming up again. And he said, this idea of less is more, if you feel this desire to eat less, this thought that less food is better. What he told me is not for what you're after. And that really helped me disassociate new experience, new paradigm, what I'm working on right now from everything that I'd done in the past, from those days when I was a little girl dreaming of being a professional ballerina and thinking that I just needed to be skinnier from that to any, any of the other times that I've tried to lose weight in the past. Those are all the past. You know, now less is not more for what I am after now. Now I'm becoming an athlete and an athlete's body needs fuel. 
And actually, it needs a lot of it, which is cool. (laughs) I'm allowed to eat, thank goodness. (laughs) So, wow, permission to eat and permission to not be trying to eat less. That's huge. I know that making quality food choices is important. I know that timing food is important, and I'm sure that I'll be working with Brian in a lot more detail on those levels as this goes on, and I'll share with you discoveries and insights around that for sure. But the permission to eat is huge. And when I looked back also, I realized that another fundamental assumption that I'd held about myself might have been wrong. And that is, I've for a long time thought that I was an emotional eater. In times where I've felt stressed out, I'll reach for food. And food has brought me comfort when I'm feeling just upset and overwhelmed and everything seems wrong with the world. While Brian and I were talking and while I was looking back at this past history of calorie restriction, I remembered that trip to China that I told you about. I was training Kung Fu. Such a cool experience. I got to train at the Kung Fu school that Jet Li came out of. The big national school in Beijing. It's called Xucha Hai. There's no tones in there, by the way. If you're somebody who actually speaks Chinese, I'm sorry that I butchered it. I never did learn tones. Um, this school in Beijing, we were training not quite as hard as the Chinese athletes who have been accustomed to this level of training their whole lives do. Of course, there is a separate program for Western visitors, but we were training with serious athleticism for up to six hours a day. This is a lot of very intense training. And when I was there and I saw myself as overweight and not able to keep up with the other athletes and I wanted to drop weight. So I was restricting calories and I was purposely staying a little bit hungry. And here my body was working the hardest it ever worked, needing fuel more than ever. And I was coming from this misguided place of thinking that eating less would somehow be better. Feeling victorious about it in those moments of control, but then on the training floor, losing my ability to perform and getting muscle cramps and getting increased injuries. And then I was used to being able to not quite keep up athletically, but I'd always pride myself on being able to learn combinations quickly. You know, we were doing different forms where we had to put together sequences of movements. And if my body couldn't perform the way that I wanted to, at least my brain always had been able to. I was a quick learner. You know, at least I could fall back on that. And when I was in China, there was one particular day where I just had a breakdown, a big messy, snot-filled, tears everywhere, sobbing breakdown in the middle of practice, in the middle of the gym, because my brain was no longer keeping up with me the way that I had been used to. 
my body and my brain just didn't have the resources to serve me. I was starving. I, I didn't feel starving because I was eating, but with all of that training that I was doing, my system was starving and I was cranky and I was overwhelmed and I was confused. And I didn't even realize that I had brought that on myself through my food choices until this week when I had that moment of kind of looking back over the time history. And I went, holy crap, that was intense. And there was another realization that came right after that. And this is the point that I want to kind of close with. And it's a a question And it's a question that I know that I'm going to be continuing to sit with over the journey because I don't have the answer for it yet. But I think I have a piece of it. I was noticing how overwhelmed and stressed and cranky I was in China when I was training and realizing that that was because I was starving. And I took a look at the sense of myself and this judgment that I'd had of, oh, I'm an emotional eater, and that's bad. In times when normal life is stressful. And so I'll go to Trader Joe's for something healthy and come home with a box of those JoJo's Oreos. Yeah, Trader Joe's has been historically dangerous. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. I always thought that, okay, I'm an emotional eater. I'm a stress eater. I would raise my hand in that group and say, yes, that's me. But wonder... If in fact that conclusion was all wrong, the question came to my mind this week, is it that I binge because I'm stressed out? Or is it that I'm stressed out because I'm starving? That's huge, right? If you've seen yourself as binging because you feel stressed and then you feel more out of control and you're judging yourself for binging and the stress gets worse, well, what if the stress actually had to do with food in the first place because you weren't getting enough fuel or you weren't getting enough of the right kind of fuel? For me, I think that was the case. I think I may actually have been doing a lot less emotional eating and stress eating than I've thought over the past however many years. I don't know what I'll discover as this journey continues, but I'm fascinated by this question. It's a big paradigm shift, and for the first time in a long time, I'm excited about fueling myself, and I have permission to eat as much as my body needs, and as often as it asks for it. I am really excited about this. I think there's going to be a lot more discoveries that come along this line. It certainly has been therapeutic for me to sit and talk through the last 40 minutes or so of this big loaded issue that's been up this week. So thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me share it with you. And here's to the next layer of the onion that will unpeel in this journey. Thanks. Have a great healthy week. Eat well. Nourish yourself. (laughs) Bye.